Today is August 22nd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Well, normally you hear me talk about the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy and doing the land acknowledgement. And because it is August 22nd, I just wanted to um, actually announce that I really take land acknowledgement seriously. So much so that I actually got it tattooed on me. So I got uh, today, and I'm sure the pictures will come out, I got my tattoos to acknowledge the Treaty 7 uh, signatories that are, are in pictograph form. So I'm super excited and I can't quit t looking at it. So with that, I can tell you with it's inked on me now to acknowledge the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I'm pointing at my tattoo as I actually say those. I'm so excited. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, status, non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Hoki, Mekochi, Chestokom, Aki. Or, Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My apologies to all the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. My name is Red Thunder Woman. Uh, it's also Michelle Robinson. And I was born as Michelle Elliott here in Calgary. Uh, two very English names that have afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family was not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me up in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are a critical way of creating a safer space for Indigenous people, but more so honoring those who have been taking care of these lands for millennia uh, to say thank you to them. It's the very least we can do considering the oppression here in Canada. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com and maybe even be on my show. Uh, send in your, your comments, questions, uh, giggles, jokes, anything. I don't care. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Alexandria, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Heather, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, 
The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with one S, and Veronica. <laughs> so with that, I'm really excited to um, introduce my next guest. Well, today's a really special day. I'm really grateful that Natalie's decided to come join me on the phone or on the on the call because I can't tell you how validating it is to talk to Natalie. Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Natalie Jovanic. I'm a counselor and triathlon therapist. And I also wrote um, a book, which is called A Brave True Story, which is my own healing journey because I grew up with domestic violence. And my hope was to inspire people to start their healing journey. All right on. I am. Um... As you know, I just took a course with uh, the White Bison Society, and uh, it's a well-briety uh, sub-course on mending broken hearts and healing is a conversation I have with you regularly, regularly, as well as many other folks in our life. It just seems like that that's a common theme in our world. So, um, But, you know, one of the reasons why I was super excited to have you on here was that I find that when you and I start talking, we actually start talking about a million things. Um, but one of them is like the cultural collisions because you're originally from Germany, right? Yes, I'm German. You're German. And when you came to Calgary, or when you came to Canada, it sounded like you had a lot of culture shock, basically. Yes, like I originally came to Canada and I guess my hope was to see Indigenous values really integrated in the Canadian culture and also my hope was to live in an inclusive country and I think for me the hard part of the last five years was really to find out what is the reality and how to deal with the reality I'm finding here because many of the things that I would have hoped to find are simply not here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think a lot of people think that there's that uh, inclusive atmosphere, but once they get here, are shocked to find out that's not true. Yeah, like I first came to Vancouver and um, I don't know, like I was always inspired by Indigenous cultures. And I also did a project when I was living in Spain with Indigenous people in Guatemala. So I was really aware about the violence against Indigenous people in Guatemala but on the other hand, I wasn't aware about what's going on in Canada and also how much systemic racism is there against Indigenous people and the level of disrespect that is going on there. Yeah. So when I first went to Vancouver, I slowly kind of started my journey to find out the truth. So the first thing what I really heard was about the highway of tears and how many Indigenous women are being murdered and get missing on this highway, but also the lack of support from the system mm. to really find the people who committed the crimes. Yeah. And then when I did my diploma in counseling, um, we had some indigenous students who were supportive for the Truth and Com um, Reconciliation Commission. So we talked a lot about the residential schools and um, the trauma or intergenerational trauma resulting from the residential schools. And I think it was really hard to hear how, you know, how present this wound is and also the lack of acknowledgement of this wound from the mainstream society and that Indigenous people constantly need to fight to be heard and fight to, um, in the end, to be respected. So it was really shocking to see this. And later on, I started here in Calgary, the academic upgrading um, with um, 
the addictions program with Indigenous Focus just because I knew, like, I want to be taught the truth and not just some mainstream nice story about Indigenous people. So we went to the complete story of colonization. And for me, for being German, it was really shocking to see how, when the first contact came, how much it was related to the narrative of superiority and how much Indigenous people were labeled as savages without anybody knowing anything about them. Yep. And on the other hand, I honestly, when I went to this course, it was really like finding out how present this narrative of superiority still is and how present white supremacy is. And I think for me, these themes are so deeply rooted in the German history or in, in the in the Holocaust that for me, it's something it's really hard to see that it's still so present and that there is not a lot of acknowledgement about it or a lot of intention to change it. Because I think what I learned from the German history, and I'm not saying it's an easy part to deal with, is really that I need, if I think I'm superior to somebody, I need to change. Mm -hmm. and, and that I really need to be open to other cultures and learn from them. And so I guess for me, there was this huge disconnect where I was really shocked about how present it is. And I think later on, we learned about the 60s group and also that in the end, maybe the themes have changed, but the oppression is still ongoing and children are still detained from their families and they don't get the children back. So there is still this huge amount of systemic express oppression and this huge amount of racism that Indigenous people face here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess this was for me the major cultural shock and also maybe not one thing is that it's happening the other thing is the lack of responsibility from those who could change something and the lack of accountability to talk about those issues because like for me reconciliation is a really it's a really kind offer from indigenous people but I have a responsibility to participate in it and like my role like yeah I think it's a beautiful offer, but I also know I need to show up and I don't see many white people or non-Indigenous people showing up. And I would hope that more people do it. Well, I think the reason why, too, I wanted to have you on the show was that, you know, um, I think a lot of folks have expectations. And I know for me, um, expectations, while, you know, I I think you and I know uh, with the you know, knowledge that we have about counseling and healing, that having expectations of others is part of the reason of why, you know, you get disappointed with others. And for me, Mm -hmm. I've always kind of gaslit myself and thought, why is my expectations like too much to ask um, people in my life to come to a book club, uh, to be doing some kind of active work towards reconciliation? And, um, you know, and I think about all of the activists that have come long before I ever was here. And I think about all of the court cases, all of the work that, you know, my my aunties, my my grandmas, everyone has done before me. And I'm like, how it's so frustrating. I can't even put my I can't even express how frustrated I am. All these people have done so much work, exposed all of their trauma and to ask, you know, non-Indigenous Canadians to be a part of some side, some sort of reconciliation work, and that's too high of an expectation. 
And um, so needless to say, I'm beyond disappointed It was society right now of how, you know, they don't understand systemic racism, despite the Indian Act being embedded in our constitution and having no concept of white supremacy is, of course, because they are in denial of everything else. And um, just as we have, um, you know, Holocaust deniers, we have Indian residential school denying. So I just... Um, like some days when I read the comments, when I see the attacks about, you know, lazy natives, things like that on, on um, you know, whether it's a comment on the CBC about anything. And, and it's amazing how these racists can even take something that's so sweet and innocent and make it awful with some of their comments. But it's so embedded here. And I, I want to have higher expectations of folks, but the bar is so low. Um and here we have this beautiful person coming all the way from Germany who's been taught all about the Holocaust, Hitler, racism, white supremacy, oppression, privilege. And, and you're coming here and you're thinking, this society, I really had higher expectations about as well. Like, honestly, I, if somebody would have told me what's going on, I'm not sure whether I would have been able to fully believe it, that this is happening in a Western country or in a country that is kind of having this story about how great it is. Yeah. And I really cannot fully see this. And I also think sometimes the story about how great everything is really blocks change and really blocks a critical thinking about what's going on in the society and what are the root causes. And I'm seeing the denial of residential schools. And for me, it was something I couldn't understand at all. Yep. And I really looked up the laws we have. And yes, we have laws in, in Europe and in Germany. You're not allowed to deny genocide or Holocaust. And you're not even allowed to minimize or justify it. And I also think for me, I was thinking a lot about the freedom of speech. Because for me, how, like I think for me, I always lived in countries where there is freedom of speech. But my concept of freedom of speech is... First of all, to protect from abuse of power and second, really to protect the marginalized voices. Mm -hmm. And also the limits are always the human rights. And here, freedom of speech seems to be the, you know, the excuse that I'm allowed to say everything what I want to say, no matter how much hatred it has. Yeah. And this is a concept I cannot understand. And I really had a long time to kind of find out what is so irritating for me about that. Yeah. And I I don't see, like, I don't even understand people who deny residential schools or the negative impact they had because the reports are out there. You can read them. You can read the report of the missing and murdered Indigenous women. And the stories are there. So how can you say that? How can you deny it? I don't get it. Yes. No, I, I, I think I just find it so refreshing and validating to have somebody with no bias come here. And, and maybe you did have a bias. You had the assumption that Canada was like this free society, freedom of speech, but inclusive. And you had to even go through that where it's Canada is not any of these things. And, um, but you didn't have that invested, um, you know, intergenerational grandpa's farm uh, hate towards natives. So it's interesting having your, you know, um, outsider's perspective, but at the same time, you, out of all people, I would say, are one of the leading experts here in my circle of friends on what genocide actually is. 
And to have somebody validate that, yeah, so this was said in the report, and this is everything that I've learned. Um, do you want to talk about genocide and, and your um, reaction when you heard people talk about the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls report? I don't know. There's, from, honestly, for me, there's a lot of grief in it. Yeah. There's, I think there is so much grief. I can't, like for me, genocide was always something that was part, part of the past. And now it seems to be very alive. Yes. And and it's I cannot say it's deeply shocking. And it's something I would never have expected to be confronted with in my life again. Yep. And I think on the other hand, I know I cannot I cannot change other people, but what I can do is take responsibility and really for myself speak my truth and yeah, and I don't know. It is it is very sad, and I cannot read the stories without being impacted by them because I also see one thing is that people are getting murdered, but the other thing is that the system doesn't give any support. And to see, like for me, it goes into white privilege too. Like I know I'm safe here because I'm white, but I know indigenous people are not as safe as I am just because they are indigenous, mm. like, which is just kind of shocking to know. Yeah. And also it's shocking to know for me that here safety depends on the skin color. Yeah. And, yeah. and I need to say, I lowered my expectations in a way that I don't have the expectation anymore that the society doesn't have racism or that the safety difference exists I'm just saying but now we know that it exists so how can we take responsibility and how can we unlearn those behaviors and how can we whether it's anti-oppression or decolonization how can we really do this work that we create a better society and I know I have a role in that mm -hmm. and I have a social responsibility for that yeah no I'm grateful so, you know that I am um, I hope that any listeners that might be listening get equally inspired by your words because, I mean, ultimately, here you are coming to this country and you see that, yet so many folks that I know don't actually see that. And that's what I can't understand is that how you can come as an outsider, see your responsibility, immediately start working towards that. But folks that have, have like this invested interest in my oppression you know, just can't seem to make that understanding that, you know, my wonderful life came at a cost to somebody else. And it was, you know, my ancestors that paid that cost. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know about other people, but I know when I came here and when I was aware, I'm in the role of the oppressor. And I'm not even, I was kind of thinking, how can I at least be here in a respectful way for Indigenous people? And I know I will make mistakes. And I know at one stage I might say something to you, which is really racist for you. But then I also, you know, I know I, I can change it and I can learn and grow from it. Yes. No, and, and I'm grateful. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm grateful for that. Um, what were you taught about white supremacy? Because I know one of the conversations I hear in Cal, or well, here, all around is, oh, well, kids are too young to learn these things. But surely, because you have this understanding of oppression, white supremacy, genocide, 
how, how early did you start talking about like these types of concepts even as a child? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, for me, it was not so much white supremacy as a story of super, of a superior race. Mm. And like for me, everything related. And I think even in Germany, you need to see this, this superior race. It was not only skin color. It was also within your own race, like within being white, there is a class system. Mm-hmm. And for example, Slavic countries were not considered as a superior race. Mm. So I I know that the first thing I really remember when I was 10, I was watching TV and there was a documentary how the concentration camps were opened. And you could see how they opened up the graves for the dead bodies. And I just was so aware about the dehumanizing way how people were treated. Yeah. And I think these pictures and these documentaries, they always left impact on me on how I can take responsibility and also to learn, like racism can be very open and it can be very subtle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a life journey to really understand the complexity of it. And I cannot claim that I understand the complexity of it. I'm just learning to understand it. But I think it's always being aware about if I look at another person from a different culture or who has a different skin color, like, what do I think about them? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if I sense like I consider myself superior because I grew up in the Western world or whatever, then I need to work on that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's I think such a simple all- way to talk to kids about it, though, isn't it? That if you think you're superior to anybody... You need to work on that so that you see yourselves at the very least as equals. Yes, and if you put it very simple out of the context of race. Sure. If you have contempt in a relationship, which is that somebody is in a superior or thinks they are superior, the relationship is unhealthy. Oh, I love that. So I think sometimes you can look at it in a social context, but if I just look at it in a relationship context, Like, if I look down onto you, we will never have a healthy relationship. Right. Because I will never take you serious. Right. Yeah, I know. I. I Sorry. Continue. I cannot really say how I learned it, but I think I was, you know, in history class, we spoke for a year about it. Like, it was part of all the conversations. It was part of my family. And I'm not saying that my family was perfect, because I also think, like, my parents were a different generation than I was, but... I can heal on a different level than they were able to heal. Yes, which is totally fair because I feel that same way with my parents, um, with both my parents, my my Indigenous family. Obviously, it's a very different healing, but even with my dad's side, there's there's a lot of trauma there. As uh, you know, he was a he lost his grandfather before he ever got to meet him, and and I uh, grew up on uh, an army base, and you know, so I'm not going to ever discount what happened in his world either. Um, but I know, and I say this to everybody all the time, is that I know I have it a hundred billion times better than my mother had it, than my grandmother had it, any other generations had had it. But that doesn't mean I'm not workist, working and focused on my healing, and hopefully breaking cycles so that there's less healing for my daughter to work on. <laughs> yeah, like, if I take it down, like, I think abuse of power for me is not okay. And I grew up with narrative of superiority is not okay. 
Yeah. And it seems like here in Canada, it just seems to be okay. It's normalized. And in fact, men are a hierarchy over women. So you have yeah. like uh, this idea of spirit, uh, superiority in many different facets, uh, you know, straight people being more um, superior over non-straight people and, and, and just continues and continues. And, and, and it just, it's, it's just gross. And I know we've had many conversations about how, you know, folks here just don't understand racism and um, talk about, uh, you know, the benefits of slavery or the benefits of Hitler's good intentions or, you know, Indian residential schools weren't so bad. Like all of these disgusting narratives and victim blaming. That's the other part of superiority is it makes it so a society so easy to then victim blame. Yes, I think it's a lot of victim blaming. I was really, for me, it was mind blowing when this person was a leader in, in a discussion round and I guess they want to be great people. But I was really shocked when somebody asked me in a discussion round what were Hitler's good intentions because honestly, this is a question I've never heard in my life. <laughs> and I, I don't think it's a question that anybody should ever ask. And because it's the excuse for, it's the excuse for residential schools because like if Hitler was the worst of all of them, if you try to find excuses for his behavior, how do you do it with racism and other kind of things? Yes. Uh, the funny thing is, but when I wanted to say something to him about, like, I know I took a breath because I was so shocked. And this was a group of, the other people were five men. And I was immediately silent. And mm. I couldn't even say something to him. But for me, this is such a... Racist. I don't know how to say about this question. This is just a complete no go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I used to run co co run um, uh, women's safety circle, and I can't seem to describe to men enough that as soon as you can have a room full of thirty women, you bring in one male, and it changes the dynamic of the room. Take out that one male, all of a sudden you have a totally different dynamic, and. I think it's rooted in exactly what you're talking about, about superiority and oppression and victim blaming. And that's where that comes from. And I can't seem to describe that enough to male um, funders that, you know, women speak differently when men are in the room. And you just articulated that so well with what had happened to you. Yes, and I need to say, like, things like being silenced, it has never happened to me before I came to Canada, and I haven't changed. I also need to say, outside of Canada, it was easier for me to find white people who stand up against racism. Wow. Well, like I just find that so validating because I am supposed to be in circles of so-called progressives. And whether we're talking um, the orange side, the red side, they don't see how oppressive they are. And... Um, make excuses, deny, and just ignore what I have to say because of it. So I just wish you could possibly understand how validating it is to hear you talk about it in these terms, because I experience it, but nobody hears me. Nobody believes it. So I hate that you had to come to Canada to understand the silencing <laughs> that women experience. But, you know, it, it's just so validating to have an outsider talk about it. 
I know, like I would not have expected what I found here. I think it really challenged me also to deal with these situations because it was very frightening and intimidating in the beginning. Sure. It. I also, I try, like I speak about racism, but even in organizations, I see that there is no chance to speak about a racism. If I, I also think there is a lack of thinking. Like if I'm in a room and they're all white people, but there's nobody who is a person of color, indigenous or whatever, like I'm aware that their voice is missing. I'm also aware that if they were an indigenous person, it would be really hard for them to speak up. Yes. And like, I'm aware about the power, but I'm also very aware that I guess the majority of people have no idea about the power differences. Yep. And they are not even aware that like for me, the experience of somebody who's indigenous is my blind spot because I'm white. I can just see the world from this perspective. So if I don't talk to you and I don't learn from you and I don't understand what's going on for you, I have no, I cannot make any judgments. Mm-hmm. So I really need to see how can I learn about those experiences I will never have. And um, I did a lot of conversation with people here, whether they are indigenous or people of color. And the truth is, the research and everything is out there. Yeah. Like the proofs are out there. It's just people don't look at them. Yeah. I know that we kind of talked a little bit beside this or before this. And one of the potent things I think you said was that lying just seems to be normalized here. I think so. I have, I sometimes stand beyond people and I know what they say is a lie. And I know if I were to ask this question, I would just say, I don't know. Like, I know a little bit, for example, about the justice system, and I know how much skin color is also part of the justice system and that I'm treated better, but I wouldn't say that I know enough about it to talk about it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, but people just always have this kind of thing. I know everything. (laughs) Yeah, arrogance. There's a real arrogance for sure. Yeah. Yes, and often they don't know anything, so. (laughs) I know, isn't that the icing on the cake? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I know. Like, I think the other part for me, which is really hard, is that the practices of anti-oppression or decolonization are not really part of the education system or part of even counseling. It's just like something you can do on site if you're interested in. Well, it's interesting. But, That's uh, part of the reason why I felt I had to take that course, because, you know, I know I can't go to a counselor and have them understand colonialism and oppression. That's just not in yeah. my reality. This is what I mean. And this is mind blowing for me. For me, it's also mind blowing. I went to a training from a white Canadian person and he's working with indigenous communities. And then he was saying, yes, he does anti-racism training with them. But if people don't get it, they just don't get it. And that's okay. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's okay because as long as those who are in social work or counseling have limiting beliefs about indigenous people, healing isn't possible. Yeah. Like, and it just like, for me, it's kind of amazing to see, oh, if you have discriminated beliefs, just don't work with this person. But how can you avoid to do this? Like, how can you do a group without thinking about oppression and without thinking about the experience of maybe a black person is very different than of a white person. So I think it's kind of fascinating how much it is excluded and how much it is just on the side. And I know that I often hear this term like, oh, you with your opinions, you're just, uh, you're just a different voice. 
And on the other hand, I also know how much it is damaging for people who belong to marginalized groups and for indigenous people. So I'm just sometimes, I honestly, the organizations I worked for, nobody talks about oppression. Yep. Hardly anybody, or at least let the higher you come up, nobody talks about the missing and murdered indigenous woman report. And I think it is it is an essential part of Canada. Like, I think you need to walk, talk about it, understand it, and think about how does it influence your work. Yes. But there is really such a lack of acknowledgement and understanding around systemic racism and also around abuse of power. Yep. And I also, like for me, in, right now, if I look at what's going on, Inclusion for me means anti-oppression because without unlearning oppression and as long as racism exists, there will not be a complete inclusion. It's impossible. Yep. And if I go to, like what I see in Calgary, there's a huge amount of segregation because I can go to events where there are mostly white people. If I go to indigenous events, there are mostly indigenous people, but there is not a healthy mixture of nope. the diversity that exists in this country. Agreed. So, yeah, I I personally don't know why people just ignore it. And I also don't know how people can live all the time or all their lives in Canada without being aware about the racism that exists. Yeah. Because I found the articles, I find the stories, and I find people I can learn from. And I think everyone can do this. Right. Everyone can do this. I can do it. Nobody taught me the word colonialism. And when I understood it, and when I understood, you know, the Indian Act is embedded in the Constitution, it absolutely changed my world perspective on Canada. And I was born and raised here, many generations for that matter. And, um, you know, I I didn't go to university. I wasn't uh, privy to that uh, privilege. And for a lot of folks who are well-read, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the time that I was in, um, able to get a interview with our mayor. And this person who is our mayor, he, he's like a, a prof, university prof. He went to Harvard. He'd been looking at the budget for years. A well-educated person and had no concept that I paid taxes and that not all natives get a free university education. And I, I try to empower Indigenous people because of that and tell them, look, like people who you think should know a lot about you know nothing about you. You know way more about who you are in your culture than most Canadians will ever, ever know. It's not taught in universities. As you've talked about, when people feel uncomfortable, they go silent. So they're not even mm -hmm. open to learning about us and our and our um you know, our culture, our language, our ways of knowing anything positive about us, they're not interested at all. And the most ignorant things are, are regularly said to us, um, you know, the assumption we're not even from this land. Uh, no, where are your parents really from? Those types of things, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I could probably go on about I know. that. But you're my guest, so I'd like to hear your perspective, not mine. <laughs> about the truth is honestly about... I don't think that university education says anything about the quality of a person. Yeah. Because the true journey is really afterwards that you continue to learn. And like, I also think if it comes to white supremacy and all these kind of social issues, it requires personal work and it requires self-reflection about yourself. 
Sure. And what I sometimes hear as excuse is just like Canadians don't like to look at themselves. But the truth is you will never change the society if you don't look at yourself first, because otherwise I just repeat the cycle. You know, it's so interesting uh, to me because um, even for myself, I'm a straight cis woman. And I have figured out that because I am that, I live a very different privileged existence in this world. And if I can do that, why is it so difficult for other people to go, hey, I have a different experience than Native people? I honestly, I hear you. I don't know. I would love to have the answer. I try to connect with people, with white Canadian people to have these conversations. I was not yet successful with it, except maybe one or two exceptions. Sure. I don't know what is so difficult about it, whether it's shame, guilt, fear. I have no idea. I try to have them. Yep. But I just, I hit this wall of silence where nobody talks to you. I also encourage people, hey, learn about my experience here, but nobody wants to learn about it. It just seems like, yeah, a little bit my learning is the more privileged people have, the less they want to know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I don't have the answer, but there seems to be something in it that they don't have a need to um, think about it. And I hear social workers saying, oh, we don't need anti-oppression, which are white Canadian men. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe you should be cautious about saying that. And maybe you should think about yourself. But the truth is they are in the system. They are supported. And I think there, there's a huge concern for me because I think there's a danger in doing that. Mm. And yeah, I also think for me, Because when I came to Canada, I decided to study because I want to understand the culture and I would like to integrate here. Yeah. But actually, if I look at the education system, it is really shocking for me because like, I left one college because they really don't teach the truth about Indigenous people. I phoned the Association of Colleges and they said to me, oh, they don't care about the quality of their colleges. And... I just said, okay, I don't want to support something I don't believe in. And I also, in this college, they kind of also, the instructor asked us what we can do to belong to the group of power. And for me, this question itself is oppressive. I know that I have far more advantages here because I'm white, but the truth is I don't want, like, I know that I'm in the role of the oppressor, but I rather would take care of my privileges instead of buying into oppression. Mm -hmm. But there is this complete lack of awareness and this complete this culture of you need to fit in and you need to um, be obedient and one person shared with me and she's an immigrant she said she went to immigration um, courses and what they actually taught them was you need to do what Canadians tell you which is complete abuse of power and I think if I just look at all the stories I've heard here it's really really shocking yeah, And it's also, I don't get the mindset and I don't get the mindset that indigenous, like for me, everything what's going on between non-indigenous people and indigenous people should be part of school and reconciliation should be part of education and it shouldn't be the box outside mm-hmm. because it is an integrative, like it is part of this culture. You cannot put it in a box. Does it make sense? Yeah. Oh God, yes. Oh God, yes. That makes sense to me. I um, I'm just grateful that 
You know, I think for me, I say these things, and as an Indigenous woman, I get sign-lined, people don't want to listen to me. But as, as somebody who's not an Indigenous woman, you will be heard more. So if yeah. you're saying these things, and this isn't something I ever coached you on, the opposite, I feel like I learned from you to be stronger in my words about oppression and genocide that is currently happening here in Canada. And uh, to have you validate so many of this and have me be able to learn from you, like I wish you understood what a gift it has been for me to get to know you and to be able to share you with the rest of the people who listen to me, because as a, as progressive as a lot of folks think they are, there's so much more work to do, and I don't know if they necessarily see that. So, I don't like what I'm, and I, it's not only the conversations I have with you, but also if I speak with other friends, I think many white people are not aware about how much damage they do. Yeah, and and it's so I don't really know how it is to be born here and grown up here, how much you get ingrained into that. But I think for many, they are just so unaware about how some of their comments, how hurtful they are. And then also, and this is for me, one thing is I might say something that is racist, but then if somebody tells me that it's racist, if I get defensive, I'm abusive. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I just need to be aware that the complete concept of white fragility, which is something which I learned here in Canada, it is completely abusive and it's also... It is toxic. And like if somebody shares what I'm doing is not okay, I have a I have a requirement to change. And I know I will make mistakes, but then also if I get this feedback, I need to unlearn how I'm socially conditioned. But it seems very hard to have these discussions and it seems very hard for people to acknowledge that they might that they might be doing something which is not okay and which is racist. Yeah. And then it's easier to discuss whether it's racism or not, which is a discussion I cannot really follow, (laughs) which is completely, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to these discussions because for me, I think whether something is racist or not, it's just not for discussion because it's racist. So I try to understand it sometimes culturally. Maybe I need to have different discussions, but I don't even fully understand the mindset where it's coming from. Uh, No, I think you got it. I just think Canada's really good at trying to pretend like this isn't a, a thing. So I don't know. I'm yeah. just really grateful to have you on here to talk about your perspective and your experience with trying to deal with Canadians' racism in general. And of course, in my opinion, the denial of uh, white supremacy, genocide and ongoing genocide that I see here in Canada that nobody else seems to see. So I don't know. I I hear the denial. Um, I think it goes in layers. Some people are more aware than others. Yeah. I I think for me, it's, I said it once to somebody. I spoke about um, like this kind of silence that exists in Canada around racism. Because if I speak up and I sit in front of ten people and nobody says anything, yeah. Um, it's kind of for me because I don't know them. It's kind of for me says we are all okay with what what's happening. Mm-hmm. And because if you don't say it's not okay, I don't know that it's not okay for you. Because if I just hear this and I stand up and nobody else does anything, I just need to take what I see. And this makes it really hard. Like, I don't know to which extent people just don't say anything because they're scared. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I don't say anything, I enable it. Yeah, so I couldn't agree I, more. 
So it is a really difficult journey. Um, I'm not saying that I'm successful with speaking up, but at least I decided for me the only thing what I can do is speak up yep. and say something. Sure. I need to say, yeah, I just often don't even get any feedback or any answers. And I, I don't even mind if we start the discussion at a different point about like what is so hard for you right now to hear that your comment might be racist. Like start somewhere where you are, but I have not yet really managed to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I applaud you for trying. That's for sure. I know I've been at this and, um, you know, I actually get a lot of happiness and joy because I, my husband will show me every so often some of the demographics and there are a lot of folks that like listen outside of Canada. And I, I know for me, there needs to be some kind of global movement. Um, I've talked to folks about us testifying at the uh, United Nations. And what ends up happening is that there's like, you know, 10 minutes Canada's given. But there's representation from the Sudanese community, the Muslim community. And then we have to narrow down, you know, to one native to talk on behalf of all the natives. And and it just sucks. Like, I, you know, there's such clear oppression and genocide happening in Canada but because we've done such a great job internationally of pretending like we are just so wonderful and inclusive, nobody believes us what's really happening here. And, um, you know, I know I'm just doing Indigenous people's vigils in my area, and everybody just seems to be okay with that. Um, Every election, try to talk to all of the, whether it's at the municipal level, the mayor uh, candidates, the... um, municipal candidates, whether we're talking MLA wannabes, whether we're talking the premier, they don't get it. They don't want to get it, obviously. They want majority votes. They don't really care about who's being oppressed. And worse, like I've had, you know, gay males say to me, oh, well, I'm, you know, one of the most oppressed demographics. And I couldn't agree more. But you'd think there'd be more solidarity then as opposed to, uh, you know, oh, we're good, we're fine. And that's just what I find over and over and over again, where I'm not heard, I'm not validated. And I, even worse, I had somebody say, oh, but we read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I said, and you did zero implementation of that document that you read. I don't know how anyone could proudly look at a native in the face and say, I read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and and be proud they stopped there. I, I don't. I okay. I don't know. I just know the more I learned, the more the more I became aware um, that I need to take action and say something. I I'm I have the same experience as you about not being heard, and even if I if I say concerns about what's going on, there is no response. Yeah. I know for me, my greatest liberation was because at one stage I didn't really know how to handle it all. I sent an email to my friend in Spain and I said I ended up in the most racist country I ever lived in. Yeah. And I think, and I honestly, and I wrote it in one of my papers, I think the solution would be rather to get help outside of Canada. Yep. Because like for me, for me, indigenous cultures are, they give us, they give people like me a knowledge that I don't have and they are extremely precious for the survival of our world. Yep. And and so this is how I've had my worldview before I came here. So 
it's just shocking to see the level of disrespect that exists here. And I think it's not disrespect. I, for me, it's really dehumanizing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and this is where I'm just like, okay, this is so, so from not okay because we are in 2018. Like it's not 1900s. It's not 1800s. Yeah. It's just still there. And this makes it very shocking and like I don't know some I went sometimes from shock to sadness and grief and then I thought about okay what can I do to empower myself yep absolutely yeah well I don't know I don't know I really appreciate that and I know it's not just like the indigenous Canadian thing that has kind of like given you culture shock like I know we've spoken before about how incredible incredible it is to come to Canada and people ask you so how do you identify yeah, yeah. I don't know. For me, this complete question, how do you identify? I've never heard it before. I don't really know whether that's important. Like, I, the way I'm trained out of Canada is not to use labels. Yep. We work with symptoms, but I think a label, it seems like here labels, everyone needs labels. I, before I came here, I lived without labels. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I hear both stories. I hear from some people, labels help them to empower themselves. I honestly think, I sometimes think labels put too many boundaries because if I look for me, like I cannot go to some, like I'm genderqueer. So for some women organization, I cannot go to because they only want to have women, which is okay. But I think it, it puts so many boxes and I know the yep. boxes are also part of oppression. Yep. But on the other hand, like I think, my voice can maybe teach you something and your voice can teach me something and we can learn from each other. Like I learned a lot from transgender women because they helped me to make sense out of my own experience. And I think, you know, if we had different, less the label, but really talk about experiences, share our stories, we would have so much better relationship with each other. Sure. Well, I, and, sorry, continue. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt. No, I'm fine. You can start. No, I just appreciate you sharing that experience with us at all, because I think a lot of people need to hear that. And again, that's what I mean, where I get to learn from you, because um, as a straight cis woman, I don't know what that's like. And to have a support group, I'll I'll never forget the first time I had a a group of people who identified as um, people of color. And there was brown people, black people, um, myself, there was another indigenous person there. And we were all people who kind of tried to do that diversity training, inclusion conversations. And we just talked about how crappy we feel after. And it was one of the very first times I felt so validated. And now to hear you talk about being in a room full of transgender women and having that help you articulate your, you know, sense of this world. I just I find that so refreshing. And I wish people understood the power of having, you know, peer support groups and, and these conversations. And I wish people who don't live, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a straight cis indigenous woman. So I don't know what it's like to be other demographics. and But to be open to listen to them is what I wish a lot of Canadians will be inspired to do after they listen to your experience and my experience. I agree. I just came to the conclusion because I need to say I speak to people, I speak to racialized people, and we can have really good conversations. But I think to be having really these conversations, we need to speak about our experience of oppression. Like if I don't know what's going on in your life, you know, it's really hard to include each other. Yeah. 
Like I just, I think the connection comes from being able to share those experiences and trying to find meaning in them and trying to move forward together. Sure. And I would hope, like my hope is more on those people who are marginalized that they create this these kind of connections than like sometimes for mainstream society here, I don't even know how to talk to them anymore. And it's just a weird experience because there is no dialogue. There's no conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that with you. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, I agree with you. It would, I would love to live in a world where we can learn from each other and also where we can help each other to find out who we are. But I think we still have a journey to go there. And I also need to say one thing. Sure. Like this situation here, it seems so sometimes hopeless. But on the other hand, the tools to overcome it are out there. Yes. Like, you know, if I look if I look at all the books written by indigenous people, and if I look at all the tools about anti-oppression, diversity trainings, and all these kind of things, it is not that we cannot overcome it. It's just like we need to take the step to go there and overcome it. Yeah. And and I just would hope more people would find the courage and this openness to go there. And I once said to somebody, like, I think for me, being here means to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because otherwise we don't grow. Yeah. And I really hope that more people go this direction. Well, I really appreciate you going in the direction of on my podcast. I I can't thank you enough, Natalie. I I really appreciate that you give me this opportunity. I don't talk that often about that. So, mm-hmm. and I really love your book club. And for me, getting to know you and learning from you is one of the most precious gifts I have found here in Calgary. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, well, see, you're my best friend forever. <laughs> I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing um, with other folks and let's hope it it inspires other people. I hope so too. Great. This is my greatest hope. (laughs) Yes. Well, and that's all we have is hope. And, you know, for me, my hope is the next generations. And, uh, you know, we always talk in um, like our prophecy, our prophecy is um, in generations. And I think that uh, that gives me hope as well. And, I'm not very uh, spiritual of a person, but when it comes to our Indigenous spirituality, it just has made more sense to me than anything else I've come across. And um, when I see my daughter and the potential there, my hope is it'll get better for her. And I already know it got better for her than it did me. And um, it was better for me than my mom. So my hope is, well, there's always hope, I guess. I think we need to keep on to hope, and I think it is what we have. But I also think I would hope to see more people connecting who yeah. believe in the same idea because it would give us more, um, how shall I say this? I'm not saying more hope, but more like I know if I'm on my own, I might lose my power. But if I connect with other people who have the similar opinion, we can support each other to move forward. Correct. Oh, I love that. I'm so grateful you came on the show. Thanks, Natalie. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. If you are experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mama, what strength looks like through your example. 
I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through uh, her Austrian family, her roots, and for stepping up to me, uh, teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I'll say thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show, on top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, witnessing decades of racism and sexism, and to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily. I'm honored that you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better, stronger person. Our Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments and your questions. We are also on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes. So I just kind of want to finish it by saying, you know, when I side-eye the Calgary Rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish.